just to acknowledge an email that some of you received, hopefully all of you received. If you didn't receive the email this week, um, it was announcing that Martha and I have kind of reached the end of our season with you as a transitional interim pastor. Uh, this will be my last sermon series that we'll be preaching, and then my last date will be uh, February 9th. Um, and I, I just wanted to say as we start this last series, what a delight it has been to preach to you this past year. A, a privilege, really. Um, I've, I've so appreciated the way you've listened and engaged with the Word of God each week as, as disciples, as people who want to follow the living Christ wherever he leads. Um, not every pastor has that privilege. Uh, now, this final series will be something different, uh, still vital for our lives of discipleships, um, but it will take us on a different kind of journey, an inner journey with God. So let me start by asking you a simple, everyday question. How are you doing? How are you doing? Now, if I were to ask you that question in another setting, uh, chances are you would respond with some form of fine. I'm fine. Um, It's just what we say. And then generally we leave it at that. Uh, But we're not always fine. Still, we know the drill. When someone asks us how we're doing, we say fine no matter what's really going on. But you know, and I know, that we're not really fine, not all the time. Uh, This morning, some of us are only barely fine. Uh, We've got things going on in our worlds, Uh, our health, our family's health, Uh, our relationships, our finances, our circumstances, things that cause us tension, uh, concern, frustration, worry. Now, maybe nothing catastrophic, but not really fine either. Am I right? Others of us at this moment in time are really not fine. Crisis, tragedy, death, grief, despair. Something has derailed our lives, and every day is a struggle. Worse, there appears to be no hope that things will ever improve. So, no, we are not fine today. And even if we're in a good stretch right now, uh, we are fine right now. Observation and experience tells us that being fine doesn't last forever. Tomorrow, we might not be fine. Things can and do change, sometimes abruptly. Now, there's a gloomy point of view, right? The first Sunday of a brand new year, full of possibility. (laughs) But it's also pretty real. Trouble is a very real part of every life. And So it's important for us and our discipleship that we are real about 
the trouble that can come into our lives, sometimes in wave after wave. We cannot disconnect trouble from our lives with God. So where is God? When pain, when trouble comes into our lives, what relation does our Christian faith have to what Shakespeare called the, uh, the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune that come seemingly at random into our lives? What can we expect? What, can, what should we expect from God when trouble and pain rock our world? And what are we to make of passages in Scripture like the one we heard Hannah just read for us from Romans chapter 8? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us. So let, let me ask you an honest question. Considering what you are dealing with today, does it seem to you, that God is for you? If if God is for me, then why is my life like this? See, that's the question we're going to consider over the next few weeks. Uh, it's It's a terribly important question for disciples. One of the most important questions Really, if we are going to live lives of faith in a world like this one. It's a question all of us have asked or will ask, uh, if only in the most private, honest places in our hearts. Now, I, I would be stunned if any number of us uh, aren't carrying this question into our worship this very morning. If God is for me, then why is my life like this? When we're in in trouble, in pain, uh, how we think about God makes a fundamental difference in our lives. We mustn't put a good face on our troubles pretending that they don't matter when we come to worship. Uh, The author, Philip Yancey, put it this way. He said, quite simply, being human is hazardous to our health. (laughs) Unlike angels, human beings get cancer, lose their jobs, go hungry. We need a faith that allows the possibility of joy in the midst of suffering as well as a realism in the midst of praise. I'm going to say it again because it is an amen kind of passage. We need a faith that allows the possibility of joy in the midst of suffering as well as the realism, uh, as a realism in the midst of praise. Getting real about God and trouble is of primary importance to Christian disciples. Ignoring this issue or stuffing it behind a stiff upper lip distances us from God. 
We look to other sources for help or comfort, our idols. If we don't know how to think about God and our trouble, well, then doubt, despair, numbness begin to characterize our faith. This is no way for God's people to live. And so we are going to consider this issue over the next few weeks. Now, for those of you who are indeed fine right now, uh, this series of sermons is for you as well. Seasons of trouble come to everyone, and how much better if we can prepare our faith to absorb them before they come to us. Now, we're going to be using the eighth chapter of uh, Paul's letter to the Romans as our primary text. Why? Well, two reasons. First, uh, Romans 8, (laughs) Romans 8, it, it contains some of the most stirring promises of God in all of Scripture. Uh, again, the passage we just heard. If God is for us, who can be against us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Or or this one, also Romans chapter 8. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any power, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ. Or this one. I think everyone's favorite from Romans chapter 8, eight twenty-eight. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Wow. I mean, powerful, stirring verses from God's Word. But when you hear these verses, do they feel connected to your actual life? Or in truth, do they feel empty? Like like lovely bits of Bible sentiment, but obviously not for real life. If promises like these in Romans chapter 8 feel empty to us, we have to deal with it. (laughs) Because if we dismiss any part of God's word as wishful thinking, then no part of God's word can speak into our lives with power. So, we're going to work hard to understand and apply the promises of Romans chapter 8 to our lives and to our unique kind of trouble. Second reason, the second reason we'll be using Romans 8 for our text is because it brings into focus so many key places in God's whole revelation about why there is trouble in our lives and what God is doing about it. Trouble is not a random occurrence. Cancer, aging, 
pain, hardship, evil. These things don't lurk around the edges of our lives just waiting for an opening to come in and do us damage. Intruders into what would otherwise be a peaceful, contented life if we could just avoid trouble. No. The Bible tells us a different story. And Romans chapter 8 brings that story into sharp focus. Throughout, throughout human history, our thinkers, our philosophers, our poets, songwriters have painted life in terms of the quest for happiness, for love, for fulfillment, peace. That's what it's all about. Keeping trouble at bay in order to have a happy life. The Bible describes human life differently. And Romans 8 brings this into focus. Uh, Open a Bible. Open a Bible to chapter 8, please. If if, uh, you didn't bring a Bible today, you can share one from the rack that's there in front of you. But let's have the, the Word of God open so we can... We were referring to it as we, as we talk about it. So, Romans chapter 8, and let's start by looking at, um, at verse 18 first. Romans chapter 8, verse 18. I'll give you a second. I kind of sprung that on you. <laughs> okay, so, the book of Romans chapter 8, and we'll start by looking at verse 18. Now, in contrast with uh, the the present I- or the persistent idea within human stories and songs that we would be happy if we could just avoid or 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 overcome or overpower trouble, the Apostle Paul makes a startling statement. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Wow. Do you see how differently the Bible frames the whole issue of trouble, pain, and suffering? God's people don't view trouble and suffering as something to be avoided overpowered or outlasted. Not us. Christians deal with trouble by putting it in its eternal perspective. We compare what we're going through now with what awaits us in eternity. And it comes up pale, not even worth the comparison. Let me make three brief points this morning. Simply put them in the back of your minds as we work with Romans chapter 8 over the next few weeks. Because if you're in pain this morning, I I don't expect your entire outlook to be transformed on the spot today. Not yet. But I do want you to see where we're headed. So here are the three points. And each of them tells us to lift our eyes to realities beyond the trouble we're experiencing, to take an eternal perspective. So first, verse 18. 
the Apostle Paul tells us there is a larger frame of reference through which we are meant to understand our suffering than through our moment-by-moment experience of it. Our present sufferings, Paul calls them. And he knows about suffering. Here's how he described his life in 2 Corinthians. He said, five times I have received from the Jews, his own people, five times I have received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I mean, what a list of troubles. Now, your troubles may or may not stand up to that list, but it doesn't matter. Suffering is personal. Paul's suffering hurt him. Mine hurts me. Your suffering hurts you. Our present sufferings, they are real. And Paul is not asking us to deny them or dismiss them. He's telling us that our present sufferings are going to be dwarfed by the glory of what awaits us. That's how Christ followers deal with the troubles of today, by putting them into an eternal perspective. (laughs) Something awaits us. Something awaits us that will make our present sufferings seem insignificant in comparison. As As painful as they are right now, our present sufferings aren't worth comparing with the glory of the future that awaits us. So says the Word of God. Now, your pain today may be such that Paul's words are not a comfort to you right now. But he is reminding us of a biblical certainty, the glory that awaits the followers of Jesus will make all of our present sufferings grow pale in comparison. This certainty, this certainty is intended to change the way we experience our present sufferings, as deep as they may be. Okay, so that's all I'll say right now. Store that, and we'll come back to it. Um, the second brief point comes from verses 21 and, or 20 and 21, Romans chapter 8. Now again, the Bible tells us, lift our eyes beyond what we are experiencing. So our world is not characterized by random occurrences of trouble that we can fend off if we're lucky or if we're powerful or if we're rich. Our world is captive to trouble. We we can't escape it. We can't fix it. 
suffering does not come to us because our luck has turned bad. It doesn't come because God is punishing us, out to get us. Our trouble comes because our world is fallen. It's locked into rebellion against God and in bondage to sin. Now, indeed, indeed, we can bring suffering to ourselves and to others through our own choices, through our actions, and God does sometimes use trouble to correct us. Other times, it comes to us through no fault of our own. That's how it works in a fallen world. Trouble is part of our landscape. But it will be fixed. God is not absent from your trouble or mine, from any trouble. He is at work to fix it. But here's the deal. God does not fix trouble by preventing it. God has another way, uh, another way of fixing trouble. He redeems it. He transforms trouble into something good if we'll let him. Romans 8.28 We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. God is at work right now to bring redemption to your trouble. Be alert. Now again, if you have an open wound today, well, this probably won't make sense to you at this moment. I'm just asking you to tuck it away and we'll come back to it. Learning to live in the midst of trouble requires that we come to see it differently looking beyond what appears so obvious to what is at work in all of our troubles. God is working good to come from them. Now, the third point also comes from chapter 8, verse now 26. We are not alone in our trouble. We are not alone in our trouble. It usually feels like we are, but it's simply not true. There is a higher reality than what we feel. God is with us, helping us, even when we're not aware of it. Verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. When we're suffering, our prayers may feel empty. They may feel like they're hitting a brass ceiling above us, going nowhere. But the Bible instructs us differently. So not only are our prayers heard, even our pain-filled, wordless groans are being brought before our Father God by our Advocate, the Holy Spirit. 
God is with us in our trouble. So Romans chapter 8 is a goldmine of biblical reality for hurting people. We're going to extract that gold over the next weeks. This biblical reality can transform the way we experience pain and trouble in our lives. It can. But let me, let me say something that is also true and real. This is not magic. Walking with God through trouble is not easy. Thomas Merton suggested, if you find God with great ease, perhaps it is not God you have found. If we are going to walk with God through trouble, through everything this fallen world throws at us, we have to learn a completely different way to understand and deal with trouble than what we have been taught by a fallen world. Our world has taught us three basic ways of dealing with trouble, with pain and suffering. Now, each of us has our own variations, but these are the three basic ways, as I understand them. First, our our world has taught us to deal with trouble by dulling it. We dull it. We find something that will make the hurt go away or become manageable, even for a few hours. So there's no end of options, is there, for dulling our trouble, our pain, from drugs or alcohol to gambling or pornography. Even innocent diversions like online shopping, mindless television, comfort eating, hour after hour on Facebook, dealing with our pain by dulling it. Now, none of us are immune to looking for ways to dull our pain. You have your ways, I have mine. But all of us know that dulling our pain by any method is not the answer to it. The Bible tells us we need to reorient to our pain instead of dulling it. Second basic way that our world has taught us to deal with trouble, blame someone or something. Uh, Our world has taught us that if we can turn our pain into anger, then we can do something about it. Once we've worked up a righteous anger against whoever or whatever we blame, well, we can lash out at them. We can take some revenge against them. We can just nurture ill will toward them. Anger feels better than pain in the short run. But it is no solution either. God is an easy target for our blame. He should have prevented this. Surprisingly, Christians seem to blame God more readily than non-believers. I thought you loved me, God. Is this how you show it? Personally, I find it very hard to avoid blaming God when trouble comes to me. Don't I deserve better, God? I've given my life to serve you. Some of us are carrying great loads of of resentment 
our anger toward God because of our pain. Our thinking needs to be reoriented from a worldly way of responding to pain to a kingdom way. And Romans chapter 8 can help us. And then the third basic way our world has taught us to deal with trouble, overpower it. When trouble comes, our world has taught us to rise up against it, to marshal all the resources available to us and overpower it. Throw money at it. Apply the power of positive thinking. Rise above it. Or simply man up. Maybe as a last resort, ignore it. Stare reality in the face and deny it. If I don't acknowledge my trouble, it can't hurt me. Now again, Christians for some reason are particularly susceptible to this worldly response to trouble, denying it. As if admitting trouble somehow denied Christ. The Bible reorients even this response to trouble. And Romans chapter 8 can help us. A number of years ago, as a young pastor, husband, father, I went through a rough, rough patch. Uh, It felt like trouble, frustration, futility were coming at me in wave after wave after wave. Leaving ministry felt like my only option, although that would have addressed only a few of my issues. I picked up a book by Larry Crabb, a Christian counselor, an author you may have heard of. He was going through a rough patch, too. Just when he felt that he was under the most pressure he could possibly bear, he received the devastating news that his brother, with whom he was extremely close, had been killed in a commuter airline crash. His worst nightmare was added to the overwhelming load of trouble he was already carrying, and it almost crushed him. In the midst of it all, he came to this conviction. If I am going to make it in a world capable of producing this much pain, I need to know God better than I do. I need to know God better than I do. When I read that, it was like an earthquake to me. I mean, here's a man who was experiencing more trouble and pain than I was by far, and yet he came to a completely different answer for his suffering than the ones I was grabbing for. I mean, I can assure you, I was indulging in all three of those worldly-driven responses to pain I mentioned before, dulling my pain with diversions and God substitutes like the sports page and sweet foods, blaming my pain on God and acting out against Him in anger, looking to every possible resource other than God to overpower my pain. 
But Larry Crabb, a more seasoned Christ follower than me, came to a different conclusion. If I am going to make it, I need to know God better than I do. And that, my brothers and sisters, is where we are headed. If we are going to make it through today's pain or tomorrow's, we need to know God better. If God is for me, well, He is. Absolutely. It's just that the God revealed to us by the Bible gets obscured by our trouble by our expectations for him, by our incomplete knowledge of him and his ways. We need to know the living God better than we do. Not the flimsy God of our pop culture. Not the angry, distant God portrayed in our media. Not the God of our own imaginations. We need to know the living God revealed by Scripture better. Have hope. We can know God better. We will know God better. Should we pray? Hmm. Well, Heavenly Father, I'm, I'm so aware that these words might more trigger or open up areas of pain to us than relieve them. And so, Father, I would just pray this morning that your Holy Spirit would be powerful and present to all of us, to each of us, for whom pain is the most prevalent thing in our life. And that you would give us hope that as we do indeed open up your scripture and get to know you as you've revealed yourself. Let go of all of our faults and unsatisfying images, impotent images of you. That we can come to live in a world of pain very differently than we do now. These things, Father, we pray in your Holy Spirit, or by your Holy Spirit, in the name of your precious Son, Jesus, and with complete hope in your faithfulness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.